Law firms often ask whether they should include an arbitration provision in their client engagement letters. If enforceable, the provision means that a claimant would have to arbitrate a legal malpractice claim rather than assert this claim in court. But is that a good idea? As with so many legal questions, the answer is, it depends. I'm Giovanna Long, and you're listening to The Portable Ethics Lawyer. Today, we're joined by Melissa Mickey, Knowledge Manager at Alas, who will help us unpack the issues surrounding this question. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks, Giovanna. I'm happy to be here. Let's start by talking about the ethics authorities and arbitration provisions. What do the ABA model rules say? The model rules of professional conduct talk about this in two different rules, rules 1.8H and 1.4B. Rule 1.8H says that a lawyer can't make an agreement that prospectively limits malpractice liability to a client unless the client is independently represented in making the agreement. But the commentary to this rule says that it doesn't prohibit a lawyer from entering into an agreement with the client to arbitrate legal malpractice claims so long as the agreement is enforceable and the client is fully informed of its scope and effect. Now, Rule 1.4 talks about communications between the lawyer and client. It says that a lawyer shall explain a matter to the extent reasonably necessary to allow the client to make informed decisions. Are there ethics opinions addressing arbitration provisions in engagement letters? There are. In 2002, the ABA published a formal opinion on the use of arbitration clauses in engagement letters. Opinion 02425 said that you can include an arbitration clause in a retainer agreement with a client if two conditions are met. First, the client has been fully informed of the pros and cons and has enough information to make an informed decision. And two, the arbitration provision doesn't insulate the lawyer from liability where he or she would otherwise be exposed under common or statutory law. The opinion also explained that the obligation to inform the client of the pros and cons comes from Rule 1.4, which, as we discussed previously, requires lawyers to communicate the benefits and risks of alternative courses of action to their clients. Now, as you know, state ethics opinions can differ or can impose additional requirements, so lawyers should be sure to check for opinions from the relevant jurisdiction. Yes, that's always a good idea. What does ALAS recommend when it comes to arbitration provisions? Alanis' view on arbitration has evolved over the years. We used to generally be opposed to arbitration, but our position is now much more neutral. There are pros and cons. On the plus side, we think that replacing six, eight, or even 12 jurors with independent arbitrators can reduce the likelihood of runaway results, and it allows flexibility to defend our cases with large but unjustified damage claims. Our changing view also stems from our observation that arbitrators are more and more willing to act as adjudicators rather than just compromisers. We think this has developed as arbitrators realized that parties were moving away from using them because there was a perception that they would simply come up with a compromise that both parties hated. It's a great observation. Anything else? Yes. Alas has developed a model arbitration provision that our firms can use as a template for drafting their own provision. The model provision is available to ALAS firms by going to the claims page on our member website. Of course, each firm should conform the provision to its needs and pay careful attention to the state laws. We started to chat about the pros of arbitrating a legal malpractice claim. Let's expand on that. Assuming our listeners are dealing with a jurisdiction where arbitration clauses and engagement letters are permitted, what are some of the advantages of including these kinds of clauses in a client engagement letter? 
Well, compared to litigation, arbitration is often quicker and more efficient. And there are several reasons this is the case. As you know, many court systems are overloaded and understaffed right now. So litigation can drag on longer and longer. Another reason arbitration usually moves faster is because it often uses evidentiary and procedural rules of arbitration tribunals, and these are less complex. Finally, arbitrations can take less time because they don't involve a jury. So the parties and the arbitrator don't have to spend time on voir dire or managing a jury. And arbitration also has the advantage of being somewhat confidential. Arbitration filings and proceedings aren't public, unlike filings and hearings in court. It sounds like arbitration can offer some clear advantages for resolving legal malpractice cases. But I don't think I'm wrong in assuming there must be some disadvantages. So can you tell us what those are? Yes, you are not wrong, Giovanna. Uh, Arbitration can include little or no discovery. The questions of whether and to what extent discovery is allowed are often left up to the arbitrator. The parties may also not be able to file dispositive motions. And unless the parties agree to appeal, most arbitrations don't provide the parties with an opportunity to pursue a meaningful appeal. Can a law firm contract around these issues in an arbitration clause? We tried to address these risks when we drafted the ALAS model arbitration provision. Our model provision includes the right to discovery by incorporating the arbitration rules set forth by CPR, which is the Institute for Conflict Prevention and Resolution. It also gives parties the ability to file dispositive motions, and it allows them to appeal final awards of $5 million or more, inclusive of interest. Are there any other features of the ALAS model arbitration provision that you want to point out to our listeners? Because you've already given us some good ones. Yes, a few more. Um, First, the provision has a threshold for whether the arbitration will be decided by one or three arbitrators. If the parties collectively seek less than $3 million, there will be one arbitrator. If they seek more than $3 million, there will be three arbitrators. Great. Okay, I want to circle back to a comment that you made when discussing the pros of arbitration. You mentioned confidentiality, but said that arbitration is somewhat confidential. What do you mean by that? Sure. When a matter is being arbitrated, the filings and proceedings aren't public, but the cases are often filed in court before the parties agree to arbitrate or the firm wins a motion to compel arbitration. Now, as you know, a publicly filed complaint can generate unwanted publicity for a firm. Arbitrations may also become public if one side chooses to enforce or vacate the arbitration award in federal court. Some federal courts have held that these petitions should not be sealed. So parties run the risk that the arbitration award and supporting documents will become public. Even in matters where the arbitration clause is enforced, parties aren't guaranteed complete confidentiality? Exactly. That may be surprising to many of our listeners. All right, let's talk about claims briefly. What is Alas's claims experience like when we arbitrate matters? To be honest, we haven't arbitrated a large number of malpractice cases. This is partly because we only have a handful of cases make it to trial every year. That being said, one of our firms recently prevailed in arbitration by obtaining a good result on summary judgment. There does seem to be a growing interest from firms that are considering including arbitration clauses in their engagement letters. So I suspect we'll see more in the future. Okay, let's turn to costs. Does arbitrating a legal malpractice claim save law firms money? Not necessarily. The arbitrators themselves can be expensive and their fees add up in matters where three arbitrators are deciding a case. The parties may also engage in discovery and motion practice, just like they would in court, which can drive up the fees and costs. That can be an unpleasant surprise to a firm. 
Okay, so if a firm does decide to use an arbitration provision, do they need to incorporate it into all their engagement letters? No, not at all. A firm may decide that they only want matters that are likely to be highly technical, like patent or tax malpractice claims to be decided by an arbitrator who has special expertise. They could choose to include an arbitration provision in matters in those practice areas. Or maybe the firm has concerns about malpractice claims stemming from matters that are politically sensitive, so they appreciate the confidentiality that arbitration can offer. It doesn't have to be an all-or-nothing scenario. Okay, is there anything else our firm should consider or look out for when deciding to use an arbitration provision? As we mentioned before, states can have different requirements for an arbitration provision to be enforceable. For example, some states won't recognize an arbitration provision in an engagement letter unless the client was represented by independent counsel. Some states also have different views on whether the defendant can insert a statute of limitations defense in arbitration. Most statutes of limitations apply to court proceedings, and some states have held that statutes of limitation don't apply to arbitrations because they aren't court proceedings. So make sure to check the applicable state laws when drafting an arbitration provision. All right. What can you say to one of our listeners that's trying to decide whether their firm should incorporate an arbitration provision in their client engagement letters? There really is no right or wrong answer. It's up to the individual firm and its risk tolerance, claims history, and financial situation. As we discussed, there are pros and cons to either approach. So firms should weigh the benefits of arbitration against the potential consequences. This all sounds great. This is great stuff, Melissa. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Until next time, I'm Javana Long, and this is a Portable Ethics Lawyer. This podcast is provided for educational purposes to assist lawyers in avoiding ethics violations, malpractice suits, other professional liability claims, and management liability claims. This podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. The recommendations contained in this podcast are not necessarily appropriate for every lawyer or law firm. In determining the best course of action, lawyers should consider the applicable legal authorities and all relevant facts and circumstances. Copyright 2023 by Attorneys Liability Assurance Society. All rights reserved.